Chart Chat is a member of the Tiege.fm network from WTJU Radio. Find out more at Tiege.fm. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. Everybody, it's Monday, February 11th, 2019. I'm Tanner Green. And I'm Caitlin Blake. And you are listening to Chart Chat, your weekly guide to the past week of pop singles hitting the US and UK charts. Caitlin, remember how we had a guest last week? Yes. Well, guess what? What? We've got another guest, another grad student Yay! here from our program at UVA. We have Steph Gunst here in the building. Say Woo! hello to Steph. Steph, you want to introduce yourself? Hello. Happy to be here, part of this podcast in real time. Um, yeah, I'm a grad student here, finishing up my dissertation, writing, you know, enjoying the pop music landscape. If I recall correctly, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, your dissertation is on music boxes and similar devices from the early 20th century? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so I'm kind of interested in tropes in popular media, so I'm looking at the music box as kind of a particular example of that and how... It manifests in the 19th century, early 20th century, looking at a lot of newspapers and films. So it's pretty fun. Sounds like my idea of a good time. Oh, yeah. Here on Chart Chat, we're all about the tropes. But before we get to those tropes, we're going to start with the U.S. chart entries for the week. We start all the way down at number 98 with John Party and his song Night Shift. Daddy Yankee featuring Snow debut at number 90 with Con Calma. Tentacion debuts at number 89 with Sauce. Debuting at number 88, there's LMI with Shot Clock. I'm So Tired by Love and Troy Savon debuts at number 86. Resident podcast fave Billie Eilish debuts at number 74 with Barry a Friend. And the highest entry for the U.S. week, debuting at number 65, there's Yo Gotti featuring Lil Baby with Put a Date on It. Caitlin, what's happening over in the U.K.? A little bit more variety over in the U.K. and higher entries in general. Those were all pretty low. Interesting. Anyway... We're going to start at the bottom, number 100. That's Foles with Exits. People in the D.C. metro area, this is your announcement that Foles is going to be in our area very soon. So you can go see them and check out them playing their song that I didn't like. At number 92, we have the Chainsmokers featuring Winona Oak with the song Hope. Let Me Down Slowly, the Alec Benjamin song we mentioned a couple weeks ago on the U.S. charts, debuts at number 81 this week. At number 79, we have Wiley featuring Idris Elba, Stefflon Don, and Sean Paul with the song Boasty. At number 77, we have Bring Me the Horizon featuring Grimes with Nihilist Blues. At number 68, we have Bring Me the Horizon again with the song Mother Tongue. I'm So Tired also debuts this week on the UK charts. At number 43, that's with Love and Choice of On. Another terrible little mix song debuts at number 34 this week. This one features Ty Dolla Sign and it's called Think About Us. The song Comfortable by Youngin featuring Dappy debuts at number 32. Swan Song by Dua Lipa debuts at 25. And cracking the top 10, a little bit surprisingly, is the song Middle Child by J. Cole. And that's at number 9 this week. Uh, it also cracked, did it crack the top 10 over in the U.S., Tanner? Yeah, it jumped. It it, it 
the song released at a kind of in the middle of the tracking period but yeah for its full first full week of tracking it jumped up to i think number five or something like that so it's definitely in the top 10 in the u.s now crazy good for you j cole but anyway tanner i'm throwing it back over to you i'm very glad that you have because the Billie eilish hype train continues and i am proud to be your one and only conductor on that hype train <laughs> So folks might remember that Eilish's debut album uh, last year was allegedly close to being released. We didn't have any confirmation, didn't have a title, didn't have a date, but now we have updates. Eilish's debut album releases on March 29th, and it's called When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Terrifying. Just you wait. Because Eilish also revealed the album artwork, and it is even more terrifying. It's her in a dark room, sitting on a bed, she's dressed in white, the bed is all white sheets, and she's making some sort of a creepy smile face looking at the camera while her eyes are completely white, there are no pupils, and if that sounds like the trappings of a horror movie, that is exactly what Eilish seems to be going for. And it's especially true if you watch the music video for her entry on the Hot 100 this week, Bury a Friend. And of course, it, uh, regrettably, I can't show you the music video here in podcast form, but I can do the next best thing. We're going to listen to a clip again. This is Billie Eilish, Bury a Friend. Come here. Say it, spit it out. What is it exactly? Your pain is the amount cleaning you out. Am I satisfactory? Today I'm thinking about... Things that are deadly The way I'm drinking you down Like I wanna drown Like I wanna end me Step on the glass Staple your tongue uh, Bury a friend Try to wake up uh, Cannibal class Killing the sun uh, Bury a friend I wanna end me I wanna end me Should we be uncomfortable with a 17-year-old musician veering into and finding such wide success with such stark lyrical depictions of self-loathing? Probably. Yes. Yeah, like honestly, I and I have no idea how to resolve that discomfort. I feel like that's kind of center stage here in a lot of ways. But musically speaking, I think this is a fantastic song. Along lines that are similar to why I think many of Billie Eilish's past tracks are fantastic. The production, of course, makes me melt. You've got a variety of vocal distortions. You've got those screeches that interject and the strings and the chorus. Neither of them upend the song's composure. They're here kind of in the background as a timbral element. It's very tasteful, very just rich. There's a depth. And again, like, say, when the party's over, the use of silence in this song is just masterful. It's so good. And it's also a key part of the sort of horror movie atmosphere that Eilish is going for. And it, probably because of that, or at least in part because of that, it doesn't feel lazy or unfinished. It doesn't feel like they stopped writing the song. Because the song is still there. The hook is catchy. It's articulated right at the start of the song. And on top of that, you have that rhythmic swing that almost acts as its own kind of a hook. Kind of very easy to move along to, even if you're not moving along in movements as jerky as Eilish is in the video. And these are all elements that could stand on their own, but they're made even stronger by that production and by that judicious use of silence. There's not really a lot more I can say. We've talked about Eilish a lot before, and I keep expecting to hear one of her songs that I'm not floored by. 
And yet she continues to keep this up. And I'm so enamored with her that I even find myself considering subjecting myself to seeing her in concert, which is no small feat given my well-documented distaste for concerts. And again, please watch the music video if you like anything horror movie-esque. It's really good. It's creepy. It's unnerving. It's marvelous. Caitlin. Nope. Yep. Caitlin, go for it. I have been holding this in this whole time. Dear listeners, I cannot get behind whatever is happening to Billie Eilish right now. I am afraid. I ask why. Two things, because I always try to come up with silver linings. Tanner, yes, I agree. The silence is cool. I like how at the end of your clip there, it kind of sounded like you unplug from... Any kind of, I guess, like instrument that could be plugged in through a quarter inch. Like it sounds like a speaker just got like you unplugged an instrument from a speaker. And I think the more that I think about that, the more I'm like, wow, that must be kind of a hard sound to, I guess, get into a recording, if that makes sense. It's just something that happens kind of behind the scenes. So it was kind of cool making that kind of front and center. I also get Kanye West associations, black skinhead with the screams that you mentioned. Maybe I think she might be turning into kind of like the Kanye West for indie girl singers. And that's really weird to say, but I, I don't, I don't know. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. Steph, what do you think about Billie Eilish? Well, that's a big question. (laughs) Uh, Generally speaking. Yeah. So I think she's a really interesting figure. And I think with this particular song, I was definitely surprised based on the earlier singles of hers. I had heard because I'd sort of gotten a more singer songwritery vibe. And by that, I mean, I guess, uh, I could sort of stereotypically imagine, you know, like person instrument. So like girl guitar, girl piano, something like that. Um, and so this, um, was definitely really surprising in that sense. Um, And the other thing, too, that surprised me with this particular song is I saw the music video first um, at Tanner's insistence. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, With my consent, everything was great. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, so it was interesting because I sort of assumed that there were extra silences put in for the purposes Mm -hmm. of the video production. And then I heard the single. I was like, oh, wait. This is actually exactly the same, like silences and all. Especially that bit at the pre-chorus where it just like drops off into that sub bass that just the kind of boom. Yeah, exactly. And also all the little interjections from the from the guy in the video whose name escapes me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those are the elements like that kind of really surprised me. And there are definitely a couple of sonic things within that that definitely intrigued me. I guess going along with what Tanner was saying with the horror stuff. Um, I was definitely kind of into the rapping sounds, part of the percussion track, um, and the other sort of like the twin, I guess you could say the small, like this like twin peaksy element that I was kind of into, where she goes, ah, and it decrescendos down from D to G, and then when she does it again, she goes up from G to D, ah, and it has that little crescendo, it's, it felt very much, anyone who's watched Twin Peaks and you're like in the... I uh, forgot the name of the room, but you know, where every, like the talking is always backwards and I don't know, just those little elements that I was kind of into. Um, but the last thing I'll say about Billie Eilish generally is, um, and this is not a critique, just an observation because she is 16, 17, 
17 yeah so I mean pretty young but um, so I just feel like she's still coming into her sound and this track is interesting too because it seemed again I think it seems pretty different from the other singles of hers I've heard so far um, and I'm really curious to see what she does going forward based on this track yeah, the clearest previous analog I can think of with this is uh, You Should See Me in a Crown, but this pushes that even like way further than that track went, so definitely. And the last small thing I'll say, too, um, that I'm pretty generally pretty into pop songs that invoke the horror element, and I'll just throw out kind of my other favorite singer-songwriter who does this, which is Kate Bush's Experiment 4 is like one of my favorite songs of hers, and again, she pulls from like the psycho elements and stuff, um, and I feel like, yeah, Billie Eilish is sort of a part of this tradition. Fabled Company, alongside Kate Bush. We're going to move to Fabled Company of a different sort over in the land of reggaeton. We're going to talk about Daddy Yankee, and we've certainly talked about him before. His song, Kunkama, this is from one of the biggest stars in reggaeton for years. But we haven't talked about Snow, the featured artist on this track. So a brief bio, I believe, is in order. Snow, a.k.a. Darren Kenneth O'Brien, is a reggae artist from Toronto. Not the first time we've talked about Canada, particularly in the context of uh, reggae and dancehall, I believe. And Snow's musical career has been admittedly pretty dormant over the past decade. However, if you go way back to the early 90s, Snow not only had a Hot 100 hit, he had the number one song in the country for seven straight weeks, with one of the most commercially successful reggae songs in the history of the U.S. charts. The song was titled Informer, came out back in 1992, sounds a little something like this. So keep that song in mind as we shift our focus to this new track, Kankama, because as you'll shortly hear, this Daddy Yankee track is sort of an homage or reinterpretation, particularly of the chorus of Informer. And Snow's feature is actually the latest step in a new effort by his management to reintroduce him to listeners worldwide. First, last year, you had a, a series of Informer remixes that came out. The coming months, there might be a joint tour with Daddy Yankee that's still in the negotiating process, last I was able to tell. But for now, we have Daddy Yankee's interpretation of Snow's old hit. Let's take a listen again. This is Con Calma. So as much as I love Ms. Eilish, this is actually my favorite song of the week. 
And it's hard for me to fully demonstrate why in just a minute-long excerpt, but I'm going to do my best. A lot of that has to do with the rhythmic variety in this song, which is absolutely sensational. Multiple times throughout the songs, and even within individual sections of the song, you have the snare switching timbre. I'm reminded of Solo de Mi, the Bad Bunny song we talked about a number of weeks ago, doing a similar sort of constantly switching snare every so often. And then there's a pattern, one of the rhythmic arrangements, adds in a couple extra hits at the end of that sort of two-snare hit pattern, a couple extra offbeat hits, keeps you on your toes, and then you have those parts where the snare and, and the toms drop out, and you just have that kick that builds up to a peak, and Daddy Yankee's perfectly poised to take advantage of that because he comes in with all of this energy but also switches his flow up continuously, and that could get overwhelming, potentially. You have all of these subtle rhythmic changes that are going on, but you've got something locking down that offbeat. You've got that keyboard part, that quintessentially reggae feature, and that is the anchor of the song. That is how you make sure you don't lose your sort of frame of reference while you're dancing or swaying or just bouncing your feet in time to the song. And admittedly, time constraints prevent me from playing his guest verse, but Snow does an admirable job. He does totally fine. And then the chorus that follows his verse, you see another rhythmic variation on that underlying pattern. It's subtle, but it just makes the song infectious and kind of addictive. I'm extremely into the song. Love it. Steph, we'll start with you. What are you thinking on this one? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add to everything you just said. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really into this song, I think. Yeah, um, the beat does a really nice job. It like really hooks you from the get go, and it's like it's a really fun way to like bring back this really old hit of which I only know one word, <laughs> and that's the title of the song. <laughs> so yeah, so I think it, is, it actually, and the only thing I can really add to it is I think it's sort of the way it sort of kind of reinvents the beat of the of the original song into this reminds me a little bit of Cardi B's I Like It, which I'm also super into, as so the way it just integrates kind of the beat of the original song and sort of like that bass drop, I'm just like super into with that. Um, but yeah, but that's about all I have. I will be the Debbie Downer. I was a little bit bored, I will admit. It reminds me a little bit of efforts like Despacito, so I had that initial feeling of having already heard the song, even though I hadn't already heard the song. Does that make sense? Kind of? Maybe? Kind of. I don't know if I see the comparison just because Despacito is so slow and molasses-like, but I know Steph is much more into that song. Oh, I love Despacito, so... So do I! I love Despacito. But I think what had, or what Despacito had going for it was the the strikingly different styles of Luis Fonsi with that kind of the sensual Latin ballad singing to the very punchy vocals of Daddy Yankee's raps. In this, I think it was a little bit too similar to my ears initially, but I am always willing to give a song another chance at love. And since I am always a sucker for a good reggaeton beat, I think I will return to this, especially in the summertime, Tanner just did a, a little fist bump there. So I think we're all around winning this week. Huzzah. Caitlin, you want to keep the winning going as we transition over to the UK? Whew, I'm going to try. I'm not going to make any promises. We're going to kick things off with 
maybe what I have thought to be a thorn in my side for the past couple weeks on the UK charts, but Bring Me the Horizon. We're going to talk about Nihilist Blues, and this song features Grimes. So Bring Me the Horizon, for people who are not familiar, is technically now a rock band, but historically a metalcore, deathcore band from Sheffield, England. To date, they have only had six UK top 75s in the span of their 17-year-long career. Their most recent album that was released this January, it's titled Amo. It's the Portuguese word for love, I guess. Entered the UK albums chart at number one. So it had 27,000 combined sales in its first week, which is pretty good considering their genre. Notably, though, 61% of those sales were physical CD or vinyl purchases, which probably says something a little bit about their audience, older, sustained over many years, which is surprising given how much they have changed their sound. Also very unexpectedly on this track is Grimes. This is another Canadian. I was first exposed to her on Lana Del Rey's Endless Summer Tour a couple of years ago. She opened, and it was a pretty good show. It didn't seem like she was a super talented live singer, but she moves a lot. Like, she has really good choreography, which I guess hyped a lot of people up. Anyway... Since Grimes is a little bit more pop-oriented, I just thought this collaboration was totally weird. Therefore, we're going to do something totally weird. I'm switching things up to be very different. I want to do a little before and after, like people do their weight loss pictures on Instagram, before and after, okay? Let's listen to some Bring Me the Horizon circa 2006. This one is called Pray for Plagues. That was your before. Now let's listen to Bring Me the Horizon, circa 2019, featuring Grimes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Nihilist Blues. I'd like to open with the statement that it's not bad. I used this song as kind of a warm-up exercise for my radio class the other day, so they had no idea who this was, what this song was, anything. 
And it just kind of gets them to talk to each other a little bit about things that they're unfamiliar with. Most of their reactions were negative. They couldn't understand the vocals. One student described it as failed stadium hype. Like they could imagine it in a stadium with a basketball team running around or something. And then it just kind of didn't live up to expectations. And someone also said the drop was very unsatisfactory. Like the song built and then it just didn't go anywhere and opened up. Which, if they considered the title... Kind of makes sense a little bit. I did defend the song. As I said before, we always try to find silver linings on this podcast. So here's my neutral thought for the week. The different parts of Oliver Sykes' voice in this track reflect different artist associations for me, which I thought was kind of cool. So the lower kind of yelly range reminded me a lot of Linkin Park and Fall Out Boy. And then you get into this falsetto where he goes, and that reminded me of 303. That's Tanner probably is like, trash, trash. Why are you even saying this? And it was a little bit, let's talk about uh, Super Bowl halftime disappointment, Adam Levine for a second. So that was kind of like the the falsetto-y things that I got. And then the instrumentals reminded me a lot of Muse. So very heavy on the synths. I don't really get any metal associations here, which is kind of interesting, other than the intro of the song. So I would like to play the intro really quickly, just maybe 20 or so seconds, so we can kind of feel this ghost of Bring Me the Horizon's metalcore past. And then, Steph and Tanner, you guys better be ready, because I'm tossing it over to you. Okay, here's the intro, Nihilus Blues. Something about those intervals, I feel, reflect a little bit of metal, but they're synthy and Tanner, appropriately, before we ended that clip there, gave us a little scream of where it would have been placed had this been perhaps composed in 2006. Tanner, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I have really conflicted feelings about this album as a whole. So I'm totally fine with metalcore, and you know there are plenty of metalcore acts these days that have and are continuing to shift towards electronic elements in their sound. There's the whole trancecore sort of sub-micro-genre, whatever you call it. And the weird thing about this album in general is that I think the songs that are the best on it are the songs that move the furthest away from the band's roots, from those metalcore roots. A song like Nihilus Blues even that tries to... like move in a more straightforwardly trance direction while still hanging on to those metal connotations that you identified. It feels like the band doesn't know how to write songs in this idiom yet, and the singer kind of feels lost and indistinct, which is a bummer because I think the atmosphere is there. I think the production on this album is pretty fantastic overall. There's some tracks, there I think three of them, there's the opener and a couple others, that move away from the traditional song structure melody format that you hear on something like Nihilus Blues, and those tracks are the best ones. I'm thinking of Ouch in particular, which is this sort of more abstract, beat-oriented song. And it's impressive. There's this dark, dense mood that is a clear, like you said, analog to the atmosphere you find in a lot of metalcore tracks, but the songs just are not there at all, and the singer and the singing is just not there at all. And so it's kind of a bummer. But I don't know. Steph, what are you thinking? 
Yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with that. Uh, I definitely felt like it wanted to commit to a particular sound, but it just didn't quite get there. And the thing that really sealed it for me in that sense was actually the with the bridge and uh, the extended drum break they have. That's where it sort of got mostly into, I guess, the metalcore element for me with the drums in that middle section. And it just felt really off compared to the first half of the song in a way that almost seemed kind of funny to me. Like I laughed the first time I listened to it. So that was my initial thought about that. So yeah, totally on board with like not feeling like the song fully committed to like a particular thing. And then I have three other observations depending. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we have time for. <laughs> oh, no, no. Go for it. Well, a couple of them are pretty small. So I was going to say one positive thing about it, which was um, I'm kind of into the cross relation. And by that, it's like there's an alternation between what I might say key or mode happening in the song. So there's that synthy part, the da 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 da. So there's that in particular that first note is a G sharp and then elsewhere it will sort of clash with a G natural so you'll have that half step relationship that sometimes kind of crosses over and so and so I'm kind of into that element of it it's not really enough to make me like the song especially since it's five and a half minutes long it's very long the other the quick observation I'll make uh, just about Grimes. Um, I don't know a ton about her, but I did listen to a Song Exploder episode where she talked about her song Kill V Maine, and generally, which is a song I actually really like of hers, but the general thing she said about her voice, which is interesting, is she's just not into her live voice at all and will only just like process it. So it's like, so it, to that, it's like, oh. It feels very apropos because that's exactly what she's doing the song too, but also I don't feel like she's adding a whole lot to the song. It's like, it's cool that you got Grimes to do this, but I'm also like, why? Yeah, where is she? <laughs> yeah, I felt like they could have just got someone else. I don't know. Like, why Grimes? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> the last thing I will say, and this will this connects back to the Billie Eilish song a bit that struck me about these two particular songs for this week is what I'm gonna call the ASMR element. Ah, <laughs> and I don't know. And I feel like so ASMR for anyone who might not know, and I also might mess up this. What it all the letters? If I think it's autonomous sensory meridian response. Okay, Tanner's nodding me, so I think I got it right. So basically what it is, is it's definitely, a, I think started as a YouTube phenomenon more than anything else. And it's, you know, super close mic of like certain kinds of sounds are supposed to create this like positive tingling sensation. And I'll just call back to how it's becoming more mainstream and what I'm thinking with, there are definitely elements in the Billie Eilish song and this song, and they both happen in the bridge of these like super close mic kind of whispery, um, super enunciated consonants 
that type of deal. Um, and I, I just get the sense that we're gonna see hear a lot more of that in later pop songs. I think this ASMR element is gonna become just much more of a thing um, as it becomes more mainstream into the, the pop realm. And it's not to say that the close micing thing is unique to ASMR. I mean, you can go all the way back to the invention of the microphone and crooners. There's something about this the moment of ASMR now that seems like pretty distinct compared to the crooner age of earlier times. Super cool observations. I would totally have not gone ASMR with that whole thing. That's super cool stuff. Thank you. Okay, now we're going to try and keep the, the old pop hype train rolling as Tanner so gratefully started this week with the Chainsmokers. I'm jumping off the train. <laughs> no, no. Pitchfork tells us that we are going to be stuck with the Chainsmokers forever, Tanner. So stay on this train. Chainsmokers obviously not new to the podcast, but the vocal feature, Winona Oak, sure is. I would like to jump in immediately on this one, ladies and gents. You can probably already tell what it's going to sound like if you think back to any of the Chainsmokers' other songs. This one is called Hope. All right, with that in your ears, let's talk about Winona Oak for a second. This is 24-year-old Swedish singer-songwriter, and this is her first time in the charts, on the UK charts. I believe it's probably the same for Billboard. I didn't introduce her at the beginning in the hopes that your ears would hear some of that Slavic European vocal tone I was talking about with Sigrid's voice from last week. So if you picked up on it, good job. If you didn't, try harder next time. Also, if you notice when the instrumentals drop out from the bottom of this song, she kind of has some, there's some really cool vocal layering effects, and it reminded me of our good friend, Miss Eilish. Okay. I played the same game with my students, cold listening. They had no idea what this song was, who it was by. And they were 100% convinced the singer was Sia, which I told, I was like, guys, you missed the mark. And they forced me to show them the computer because they thought it was Sia. Sia has so much more of a range. Anyway, I have such issue with young people these days, kids these days. Tim, wow. Okay. <laughs> Tanner has a mortified look on his face, like I'm ruining this podcast with every word I speak. Okay. Having said all that, my students 
hated this song. I really like it for a couple of reasons. I really like Oak's voice. It has a very low alto range that's not, if we think of the Ariana Grande's, Selena Gomez, BB Rexes of the world, they have a little bit more of a nasally tone that's a little bit more of their head voice kind of up here and they can hit high notes. This singer cannot or does not maybe within the parameters of this song would be more proper for me to say. It also has this really intense quality and a very mature quality that I think is slightly reflected in the song's lyrics. Like I said before, I'm a huge fan of silence in pop music. Those instrumentals dropping out in the pre-chorus or the beginning of the chorus, depending on how you want to slice it up, is great. I'm a fan. It's cool. Moving on to my critique. The Chainsmokers never fail to disappoint me with their vocals. Never. Not a single song has gone through my ears that I have not been like, wow, someone else could sing this song way better. And I wish that that was the case. You know what is probably going to happen? Since we're going to be stuck with the Chainsmokers forever, there's probably going to be like tribute albums to them where better artists cover their songs. Ooh, I would like that. Okay, Tanner's grimacing. I'm going to, I'll try to bring it back. I think Bastille's singer Dan Smith would be super good on this. He's kind of, he's got that accent. It's a little bit gravelly. I liked him when they covered No Scrubs. I don't know if you guys have any ideas about a vocalist that would pair better with Winona Oak on this song. Bob Dylan. <laughs> Tony Bennett. <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried. Any, literally anyone. <laughs> Tanner Green. <laughs> Put me on. Yeah, we'll hang out. It'll be great. I'm dying. I can't. Uh, Steph, did you have anybody that you think would feature better on this song? I'm pretty much on the Tanner train. <laughs> Literally anyone. I just anyone. do not like his voice in any context. It's so bad. I just, it's something that I couldn't get past. I, while I was listening in the car this week, I would skip the verse, his verse, and it's kind of short, so it wasn't all that much, but ugh, gross. The last thing that I want to mention before I pass it off to our more articulate speakers on the podcast this week, there's this little vocal riff that drove me nuts for two days that I just need to mention. Eventually, I found out that it was from Maroon 5 and SZA's collaboration, What Lovers Do, which we did talk about on this podcast a while ago. I'm going to play it for you. And then I'm going to show you where it is in the Chainsmokers. And then we're wrapping up the Chainsmokers. I promise. Okay, here we go. This is what lovers do. The little vo- two-note vocal riff is on that syllable do. And it shows up in this song. Here it is in hope. I don't think this vocal riff serves the same purpose. 
it was it kind of ended phrases in Maroon 5's What Lovers Do, and the entire chorus hinges on it in hope. I wanted to mention it because it took up hours of my week, and that's pretty much it. It didn't have any other function or use or purpose, but Tanner, Steph, you want to raise us from the dead here? <laughs> nope, I don't. <laughs> because as far as I'm concerned, this is the sound of the Chainsmokers chasing the success of The Middle by Zed and Marin Morrison Gray, I guess. I mean, like, The Middle was a dull copy of a good song, and this is a duller copy of a dull copy. And you're just going to continue to see that reduction in quality, features of interest. Why am I still talking about this? I mean, hating on the Chainsmokers in 2019 is on one hand the critical gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> it's an endlessly refound, refillable fountain, but I'm just ready for them to go away. I'm going to disagree with the Pitchfork review. They're going to leave. It's going to be great. <laughs> That's all I got. Steph? Yeah. Um, I'm not the biggest Chainsmokers fan. Anyone knows me, that's probably not much of a surprise. But I will say two things about this song. Yeah, one uh, one small element I'm kind of into, not because of like this particular song, but just as maybe part of a broader sonic thing that might happen. And then of course one thing I really hate. Actually, I'll say the thing I really hate first, <laughs> since you already talked about it. Do and it. that's the little vocalism, the do-do, do-do. Yes! That's definitely my least favorite detail in this song. And that may be including the Chainsmoker guy's voice. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Anyway, but the other thing that I think is slightly more interesting, and again, not because of this particular song, but just a thing I've been noticing, I feel like, more and more in recent pop stuff, and particularly Ariana Grande's new album. I know y'all talked about Seven Rings last week. So that might be the thing that's freshest in ears. But that is the the detuned element. And that from my particular ears, I have perfect pitch, which is a gift and a curse. <laughs> no one needs it. But because of that, I sort of hear pitches in certain kind of ways, particularly a sense of intonation um, and anyone who's kind of interested in harmony or sort of pays attention to that that sort of kind of marimba like synth element at the beginning if any of those harmonies sound a little wonky to you it might be because that there's this little bit of a detuned element that you might associate with like an old piano for instance and like that's prevalent in Havana for instance Camila Cabello's song and yeah, I, I've been noticing in Ariana Grande, basically that entire album, but especially Seven Rings, there's a lot of this sort of detuned element to it, which is really interesting because I'm wondering if that's a kind of response or interaction with auto-tune, if that's just like the thing that's going to start happening. If people have been complaining about auto-tune for a decade plus because it's sort of homogenized tones to or pitches to particular frequencies and there's something about the instrumentals in some of these newer songs that offer some kind of alternative i don't know if that's the right way of saying it but yeah that's what i got that's so interesting i 
definitely hear that now. And there is something, it didn't necessarily bug me that much about the marimba sound in this song, but it definitely was just, it made me feel a little off kilter. So that was a, a cool explanation. Thank you, Steph. Oh, man. Yeah, I I mean, I kind of like that element, too. It's probably the only one yeah. <laughs> that I like in this song. Oh, man. Tanner, take us somewhere brighter, will you please? We're taking us to the brightest of spots. We're taking us to the pick of the week. Woo. And it's none of those four songs that we talked about. It's Night Shift by John Party, which might be our first country pick of the week. I'm a bit sheepish about it, if so, because it feels like a long time coming. But I'm glad we're here nonetheless. Brief overview of John Party. Grew up in California and then did the thing that everyone does after high school. He moved to Nashville to pursue a country music career. Straightforward. Signed to Capitol Records, began gaining traction at the start of the decade. First broke into the country top 10 in 2013 with his song Up All Night. And in the years since, he's had three more country top 10s, one of which, Dirt On My Boots, even cracked the top 40 of the Hot 100 back at number 37 back in 2016. That year, back in 2016, also saw the release of Party's second album, California Sunrise, which both topped the country album's chart and debuted at number 11 on the Billboard 200. And oddly enough, Party is still reaping the benefits of that album here in 2019 because Night Shift is the fifth single released from that album. So we're multiple years out and we're still seeing songs from that album hit the charts, which I feel like we see a lot, particularly with country albums. They seem to really last long in the sort of PR cycle when it comes to singles. But let's take a listen again. This is our pick of the week, John Party, Night Shift. Plus from dawn to dusk in the red dirt heat Busting it up for a couple of bucks But it ain't no thing Just another day till I'm on my way to them cool, cool sheets And you and me working on the night shift, baby I do too, yeah, I love how you leave on the lights Not a thing between you and me And it feels so nice when you and I are working on the night I really admire the sheer efficiency of the song. You've got the intro, briefly outlines the song before Party just jumps right in. There's a really tasteful fiddle line that doesn't step on the melody's toes. The hook is simple, it's effective. Party has this really conversational vocal tone that I think helps convey the hook and also really fits with the lyrical imagery. Some of it's really vivid. Uh, I really like the contrast between working 60 hour weeks in the dirt and the heat and then the cool sheets that are the context of a seemingly very healthy romance. And that romance is weirdly kind of heartwarming. Party is clearly invested in his romantic partner. He appreciates that she leaves the lights on. He's interested in what she wants. There's an openness, there's an earnestness that I find very refreshing and grounded amid the sort of bow country that Caitlin has talked about before that has this almost maybe verging on cartoonish level of sort of deification of romantic partner. This feels very plain and grounded in a really refreshing way. Caitlin, I know you're also into this. What are you thinking? I love this song. I 
think the cleanliness of every single line so you have the vocal line and each individual instrumental track on this is so clean like you could just listen to one of them the whole time and not it, nothing is muddy we talk about tracks uh, a lot on this podcast being muddy this is the exact opposite I like the cool sheets metaphor you just made and it works for my observation as well I I'm going to try to keep this brief, guys. I like that the twang isn't super overpowering. You can kind of almost tell he's from California (laughs) with his vocal tone. And also, do we know if he's single, Tanner? Did you look into that for me? Hmm? I did not. I'll leave that to you. (laughs) And on that note, everybody, thank you so much for listening to Chart Chat, where we help you get through the Wreck Me Weeks. If you'd like to listen to all of this past week's chart debuts, you can find a Spotify playlist in our show notes. And if you have any questions, feedback, or corrections, you can get in touch with us via email at chartchatcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're interested in following us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at chartchatcast. Chart Chat's intro theme was written by Peter Kelly and our cover art made by Billy Phillips, both from Coronation Media. Coronation Media is a creative studio specializing in video production, animation, and graphic design. To learn what they can do for your company or organization, visit www.coronationmedia.com. Chart Chat is also a member of the Teej.fm network from WTJU. To learn more, visit Teej.fm. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. Before we sign off, thank you so much to Steph for coming in this week. Steph, you are incredible. Aw, thanks for having me. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to Chart Chat. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Tanner. And we'll catch you next week. Talking know what you want and what 